This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Don Bassingthwaite. Yes, we have <laughs> the infamous Don Bassingthwaite joining us uh, so that uh, we, we have his expertise uh, to basically study the rich history, culture, and present state of the goblinoids of Corvair, otherwise known as the Dar. So, Don, uh, before we get started, I want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, in this recording. Um, I think everybody's going to be really excited to hear from you. Uh, you've, you're, uh, we, we'll have this in the readings, but the Dragon Below trilogy, people love it. The Legacy of Dakan trilogy, people love it. Um, and, and Legacy of Dakan... Actually, both of those series, you've done a lot of work in terms of, and and I, from what I understand, collaboration with Keith, uh, yeah. with defining terms and and working with the culture and so on. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, I would say I would say of all the um, the novels out there, uh, Don, you were uh, the author I probably worked closest with. On just comparing notes, and you know, we have a couple characters that cross over between our books, uh, yeah. and things like that, which yeah, I really no, enjoyed. It, no, it was great working with you. It's uh, it's sort of a big topic, and I wanted to be sure I was sort of doing it justice and getting things right. And you know, I like to have consistency between the novels and the game world, so you know, you put some effort into it. I, I will certainly say that I was also jealous in the the first place. Uh, you know, starting with the Dalkir and then the. Uh, the Dakani was always like, I'm like, oh, but I want to write about them. Those are my <laughs> favorite things. But of course, it's the, well, let's face it, everything in Eberron is my favorite thing. So, yeah, you know, yeah. naturally I was, but uh, but I'm, I'm of course, thrilled with, uh, you know, with the result. And uh, very happy to, you know, sneak Manta into uh, um, Queen of Stone and such as well. Yeah. yeah no, that was great. Thank so. you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I loved the Dragon Blow trilogy, and uh, just before recording, I, I did admit to Don that I have not read Legacy of Dakan, and and I do uh, apologize for that. But it's on Which my list. Almost caused us to cancel the episode. <laughs> we're almost like, well, pff, you know, okay, I guess we can't record. But I, here we I are. I could have sworn I heard a table flip on the other end. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we we got links to to those books if you haven't checked those out. Um, we also have links to the articles that Keith has written: uh, Dragon Shards, Years of Dakan, Strike Force Dakan, and uh, a Dragon Marks article on your blog, Keith, uh, Goblins. Um, and I threw in a, a link that I found in the community once. Uh, it is a, a spreadsheet that is an Eberron Dakani Goblin vocabulary dictionary type thing. Uh, and I think there's about a hundred some odd entries in there. Um, but from what I understand and what, what you guys were telling me that you guys actually have something that you've put together. That's much larger for your reference, which I think is absolutely amazing. And just to know that exists is really cool. Well, so, so. speaking to that, uh, you know, what I would say is when we started with the 3.5 Eberron book in developing uh, the elves, in developing uh, the goblins, we certainly were trying to get that feel that there's a consistent language here mm -hmm. uh, to sort of work with consistent uh, component words and things like that. And then Don, you know, when he uh, sort of tackled the subjects in his novels – 
took that and dramatically expanded on it. And Don, you can certainly talk more about the hows and whys of uh, what you did uh, with that. Uh, I will say that um, Exploring Eberron, uh, the book I'm working on for the DMs Guild, uh, has a significant section going deeper into the Dakanias. It's one of those subjects I've always wanted to cover. And uh, Don is contributing his uh, much expanded uh, goblin vocabulary. So I'm very much looking forward uh, to getting that out into the world. Nice. Yeah, no, it uh, sort of stemmed from writing the books um, and partly just the need to keep notes. It's like, okay, what did I have this character saying? How did that, how was that spelled? How many A's are there in Deshore? <laughs> um, and uh, putting the glossaries into the back of them. But uh, it, it also became a great resource because I can, you, you can reuse bits of the words and components, uh, which I think just makes it richer. Um, I did part of my university was uh, some anthropological linguistics. Um, so I, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to pull out and what I wanted to emphasize. And uh, just sort of in aid of making it richer, sort of having, you know, colloquialisms and uh, goblin sayings. Um, one of my favorites is the, uh, that came out of the legacy of Dakan is the opening and closing to goblin stories. Uh, mm -hmm, the, tra mm -hmm. the traditional opening is Ratshiana, the story continues. And uh, the traditional end, I have to look it up because it's been a while, but the mm -hmm. uh, traditional ending is Ratshan Gath Kaldor, the story stops but never ends. Um, nice. I just, mm -hmm. I just, I love doing the, the bits of the language to go with it. And And to me, part of what comes to this is speaking to the broader topic goblins in Eberron, uh, is in coming into it, you know, Eberron in general uh, worked to take things that were familiar and look at them in new ways. And with the goblinoids, we wanted this idea that, you know, in most settings, they'd just been presented as just inherently evil. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted this idea that they're not evil, they're just different. You know, they are an alien culture. And in particular, you know, where we decided to go is to say that they're an older culture and that uh, Corvair, the continent where most adventures begin, is their continent, that they were here first. And, you know, their civilization collapsed in a war with the Dalkir and humanity essentially came and sort of kicked the the survivors out of the ruins after they'd been bombed back to the Stone Age. But we wanted that sense that they have a deep and sophisticated culture. Um, and of course, the idea of the Takani is saying, and there is this deeper layer where they've kept that. And that they suddenly are coming back and surprising you with, oh, these goblins are much more advanced than you know incapable than you're used to dealing with and and so that's what i love uh with the language is it is that point of really giving you know it's not just the elves who get uh you know get a fancy language the <laughs> goblins are equally sophisticated and deep and interesting even if they're very different yeah. and 
and that whole sense of there is a reason that they are often encountered as enemies, in part because adventurers go into ruins and take stuff. Well, what you see as a ruin with a magic sword in it is their emperor's tomb with their sacred relic. Uh, and it's not just, you know, a plus three sword for you to grab and start running around killing things with. <laughs> And uh, and so having that idea that not only has, you know, humanity as a whole done them wrong, there's a decent chance that you have, as an Avenger may, I mean, as an adventurer may have literally desecrated some of their sacred sites or things like that. So, yeah, I think uh, what's what what Ebron has done and, and not just with hobgoblins, but other races as well. But we'll focus on the on the, on no, the, yep. the goblinoids in general. But it, it took races or monsters, things things that we consider just monsters, the stuff that you kill and you know take their stuff and whatnot. But it turned them into people, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. turned them into characters that you know for for whom you can have empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually made them much more playable, in my opinion, in terms of lore, mm-hmm. by making them not inherently evil, by you know giving them a rich culture and giving them a history that you know, you can, you know, potentially relate to, um, it, it made, yeah, just, it, they're not human, but it made them feel very human. Well, and yet at the same time, part of what's important to me is, is absolutely, as you said, to, to make them someone you can empathize with. And yet at the same time, it's important to me to make them not human. Right. That they are not just people with green skin, that we sort of stop and say, but how are they completely different? Uh, and I will say one of the things from the start, you know, this is how when we were working on the elves, the thing that struck me is what is the impact of their incredibly long lifespans? You know, how is that shaping a culture? Uh, one of the things from the start with the goblinoids to me was the fact that they're not just goblins, they're goblinoids, that we have these three primary uh, variations of the species and saying, well, why is that? How is that? How does that affect their civilization? And so in Eberron, we very much play to the idea that whether or not one possibility that seems strongly indicated is in the distant past, they were actually probably mage bred, that there was some goblin progenitor race that that sort of split itself into uh, the different forms we have today, and that within the, uh, the Empire of Dakan, uh, the goblinoids each served sort of very clear cast roles. That this was sort of, uh, you know, the empire was based on it. The other thing is that very traditionally with goblinoids, it's always presented as their tyrannical might makes right, the strong rule, the weak. Uh, and I really wanted to play to the idea that they had um, a civilization that was much more based on all of these species working together, that they had this bond uh, I like to say it's a little like, you know, sort of the social bond you see in uh, insects, mole rats, things like that. That's not strictly accurate for a number of reasons, but it's still that sense that the Dakani had a sense of their place and that the goblin might be smaller and weaker than the bugbear, but the goblins respected for being quick and deft and being a skilled artisan and worker. 
that that there was just something again of that point of making their society feel different in that they had that much more inherent idea of role and this um tied to the the concepts that that Don introduced of uh how do you say uh moot there m u u t moot don moot, moot. all right so yeah. moot and acha <laughs> uh you know the ideas of honor and duty and that you have you know how would you describe them don well basically what i describe them is um moot is 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 honor that's earned through doing your duty this is this is what you're supposed to do. And if you perform your role in society, uh, you gain respect for doing that. On the other hand, Acha is more of a personal honor. And when you do great deeds and you sort of exceed things and people look up to you, um, it, it's sort of a sense of glory. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's what Acha is. And, and mm-hmm, go on. what I was going to say is I, I was sort of, uh, when I was turning these over, I was looking for a way to sort of, uh, obviously, describe goblins and the goblinoids as not just lawful evil, because one of the wonderful things about Eberron is that you're not bound to these alignments, but to still sort of capture the idea of that lawful nature of the race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Races. Yeah. Yep. And And that's exactly where I wanted to go with them as well, is not saying they're inherently evil or stuck to anything, but essentially it was coming to orcs and goblins and saying, but the thing about it is that goblins are inherently lawful, that they naturally uh, gravitate towards forming hierarchies, working together, building, you know, sort of structures. Uh, Whereas orcs are more inherently chaotic. They are more driven to small tribes, to wild passions um, and that again, neither inherently evil, but it's back to that they're not just humans with funny, you know, with, with you know, funny features. Yeah. They are very different in a fundamental way. Yeah. And part of what we said, you know, sort of with the difference between the Dakan and the goblins, is the idea to, of moot there is that's part of what binds them together. They in, they know their duty. They know sort of what's expected. And that part of what happened in the war against the Dalkir, that basically this empire rose, it spread across the fertile lands of Corvair, driving sort of all the other races off into the shadows. But then uh, the Dalkir came from Zoriat. So this, you know, horrors from beyond space and time, spilling out, turning things into monsters, spreading madness. And even though they were defeated, they essentially sort of infected the goblins with some kind of psychic curse, however you want to look at it, that sort of ate away at that bond. And that, you know, they sort of lost that sense of connection, which is what caused the empire to fall apart. Uh, and that, that that's sort of the thing of this inherent, you know, idea of just that the, the Dakani have held on to that you know, that sense of duty, whereas city goblins, the Galdar, it's that they just don't, that's not sort of an instinctual part of them. And the question now is, oh, is that something they can return to, uh, but that it gives that reason for the Dakani to feel that, that, you know, you're savages, essentially. 
my my interpretation of that um mm-hmm. w- would be along the lines of all of the goblin races like whether they're city goblins maybe less so city goblins or galdar or dakani uh have mm-hmm. this sense they they sort of understand that as a concept but in, mm-hmm. in the in the 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 dakani it's just really ingrained and that's that that's sort of what sets them apart. So they all sort of had had this shared concept of Mutanacha, but the mm-hmm. Dakani are the ones that's like it's a part of them. Right, exactly. And then that's the point is is it's it's the others are finding their way, you know, back to it, as it were. Um and uh and yeah. Uh Christian, any thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think it's interesting because uh, you know you're, when you're speaking to the their lawful uh, nature, um, you know, we know that there's tensions, for example, among the clans, uh, especially with mm-hmm. regards to Lesh Haruk and, and his reign and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is that that lawful nature that is is sort of what's keeping order to some mm-hmm. extent. That and you know timing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, make make the right move at the right time, not just um and 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 that's that's still lawful in and of itself in that it's a very disciplined approach it's not just chaotic you know i'm going to just go and try to kill him randomly it's you know there's there's methodology behind it um so yeah i, I think i think all of that uh is is an expression of, of their nature um yeah. i and, tried and to, i think go on. I, I was going to say go ahead keith Oh. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, that to me, it's back to that separating that difference between orc and goblin uh, is that the orc is more primal, aggressive, that the goblin essentially is smarter, uh, you know, that and, – and I don't mean that in terms of an intelligence score. I just mean that in terms of combat, they don't just wildly charge in, you know, they are more calculated, uh, you know, in their actions. Uh, but what are your thoughts, Don? I, well, I was going to say, comparing goblins and uh, orcs, I would describe the orcs as more passionate. Uh, than, right. Passion than is a very good word for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what I love doing in Dragon Below and going back and rereading them. Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, I love this part of it. Was uh, mm-hmm. That trilogy was probably as much about orcs as about goblins. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love just being able to play off both sides of it and still, you know, reach back into the history when at one point, you, like millennia ago, they actually worked together to defeat the Delkir. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing to me is it's, as I said, coming back to the creating of the world of wanting these two things to be both very different but equally interesting and that is the point to me is that with the orcs part of the point of that passion is that passion also lends them uh you know gives them a greater chance to connect with faith-based magic and that that's the point of with the the orcs that's where you have the gatekeepers and you know go up north you have the goshkala in the demon wastes that you know they embrace things, whether it's the silver flame, whether it's druidic magic, whereas the Dakani uh, are actually have a very hard time uh, embracing divine magic because they're very inherently pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just hard for them to believe in something that there's no proof in. And so, you know, they have this excellent martial discipline 
and yet at the same time, their society is very different from the five nations in part because they don't have clerics and paladins uh, and things like that. I never even realized that. I, I, I mean, it, it's something – I know I've never seen that. But I never – it was never like a crystallized concept in terms of them not having any sort of faith-based uh, outlook, I guess. Well, it's, um, it's specifically the Takani that we've called it out for. It is actually mentioned in the, the 3.5 source book that the point is the Takani were always a very uh, agnostic culture. Right, right. And that basically what they had were bards and their answer to clerics – was the bards inspire you with tales of the past. But that's the point, is they are singing about heroes who actually lived, about what they actually did. You know, we're not making up stories, we're not telling myths, we're telling you facts, and that should inspire you. Right. But that was part of the point of saying that the Takani were an advanced culture who were exceptional, you know, metallurgists, weaponsmiths, uh, soldiers, but they did not have either uh, particularly strong divine paths. So you didn't see clerics or paladins, and they also weren't particularly skilled at uh, arcane magic. So you have, you know, the the Durkala, the bards, and you have, uh, you know, a, a path of artificers. Uh, and it's just that idea of saying they were in many ways as advanced or more advanced than the five nations are now, but also on a completely different path. Um, and this is where I've actually said, if I was going to put firearms in my Eberron, I'd actually give them to a Dakani clan uh, <laughs> because it makes sense if, you know, they, they aren't blowing things up with fireballs. So, hey, if they, you know, I could see them developing gunpowder. Um, but but it's all backed again to what I find interesting is exploring you know very different cultures and what makes them unique. Now, part of the point is that with the Galdar and with city goblins, it is that idea that well they have evolved and changed, uh, and that you do see some worship of the Dark Six of even the Sovereign Host uh, in Dargoon. City goblins can do whatever they you know they want to do, uh, but it's just saying that Dakan itself had this very distinct, different culture. One of the things I, I really appreciated from an earlier Manifest Zone episode, uh, the one about the Delkir, was the suggestion that uh, maybe it was the influence of, of the Delkir War that that, that infected the uh, the, mm -hmm. the Dakani with religion. And sort of made it right, right. made it possible for them to it's like oh you know the the dark six the sovereign host uh, and and again that was part of their fall I just I love that concept right. mm -hmm. yeah and yeah and that's where I think it is interesting to explore the different flavors as it were of goblin uh, in the modern setting you know the city goblins the Galdara Margul and the uh, you know and the Dakani and that the idea that the Dakan the heirs of Dakan uh, who are emerging from sort of deep vaults and uh, are in many ways you know as obviously uh, read you know uh, Don's books you know basically this is as much of a disruption to uh, you know sort of Haruk does this this remarkable 
uh, thing and sort of creates this nation and uh, unites his people in a way that they haven't been for thousands of years. And then it's like, oh, you suddenly discover that, you know, your your ancient cousins are, you know, living in your basement and they're actually much cooler than you are. <laughs> and they, they want, they'll take it from here, kid. Right. You know. Right. But tell me more about what inspired you, uh, Don, when you were, you know, moving on to Legacy of Decon. Like what was it uh that that sort of drove you in in putting the story together and what's the aspects of it you really enjoyed the most? Uh, so there's sort of two things that I really uh, liked when I was getting into writing the books. And one of them, uh, I think Keith, in an earlier episode of Manifesto, you described how the currentness of the series uh, of Eberron is what you enjoyed. Um, and part of what I enjoyed in writing this books was the political situation in Dargoon. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And the, the succession and, and uh, all of the maneuvering. The other side of it that I really enjoyed was the deep history uh, mm-hmm. and being able to sort of reach back and just even not not necessarily fleshing everything out, but just alluding to events and things that happened in the deep past of, of the Dakani Empire, uh, that the heirs of Dakan are still keeping alive in their stories um, and bringing them back as legends and, and myths. Uh, and in some cases, you know, actual things that the the characters in the books can come back and visit, and how they affect modern events as well. And and I agree that I think you know, just as you were saying with uh, the example of the the sort of uh, ways of starting and ending a story, is part of it is just having that feel that there is depth here. Even if we're never actually going to publish a you know five hundred page detailed history of of Dakan because really no one needs it. It worked uh, for George R. Martin. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, but but still, you know, as I said, to me, it's just that point of understanding that this is an ancient and proud civilization. Yeah, and that even if it's very different uh, from the modern five nations that uh that they have something to be proud of yeah and 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 as you were saying you know to reiterate that it you know through that bardic lore through the artifacts through the the you know these ancient runes that we still see that history is is present and Mm -hmm. and you can see from it um you know and, and don one of the things i really love too about how you wove the different characters together in your stories was you you felt as the reader how the people in Corvair, like non-goblinoids, might feel learning some of that lore. Like there's a bit mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, wonder, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even, you know, that, that trying to understand yeah. something that's so different, um, but still has some recognized, you know, recognizable features, you know. Well, and also part yeah, I of think what, what I liked is, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, go on. Oh, I was going to say, well, I, I, there's sort of two sides of that wonder. One is the surprise that, oh, uh, I didn't know this about the orcs or about the goblins. Uh, and one of the others mm-hmm. is there's a little bit of sort of shock and horror, too. Uh, one of the scenes in uh, the Legacy of Dakan, uh trilogy that sort of sticks with me is a scene where uh, one of the characters, Ashi, who's a human, 
is uh, all alone. She's the only human in the room. Everyone else is a goblin or a hobgoblin or a bugbear. And uh, I can't remember exactly what has happened. Something's happened that makes perfect sense to all of the goblins. But it just drives home to, to Ashi that's like, whoa, the, these people are not humans. Even even though mm-hmm. I, I think I understand them and I empathize with them, they're not human. And they just don't think mm-hmm. like I do. Um, and it's just, it, it's fun. I, I like that. And I completely agree. I mean, to me, that's with all the races of Eberron. Uh, just wanting that to feel like an elf isn't just a human with pointed ears, you know, an orc isn't just a green human that to me thinking about how are these things different is what makes them interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's spot on. Um, and I, I, yeah. and, And there's just so much to draw from. Uh, I think, I think honestly, if you guys did put out, a 500 page tome like it would not go to waste <laughs> that can that can be our next thing uh, don and right. i can team up um yeah. one of the things i will say is that going back to the idea of um uh eberron is a place where things aren't always clear cut where you know you have that noir aspect it's part of what i like about dargoon is that idea that haruk you know seized this territory from uh, the Sirens, and yet at the same time, you know, has a rightful feeling that that this is the land of his people, that uh, that you know they have as much right to it as anyone else, and and you sort of having that point of this isn't Mordor, this isn't some evil land, uh, that you know as a as an adventurer you you do have to stop and think how do I feel about this? Who do I support? How do I negotiate um, with somebody? So I'd like to, I'd like to segue. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, uh, segue to, um, talking about how, you know, GMs can bring this into their campaigns. Um, you know, how, uh, how to think about and how to present, the Takani or just, or goblinoids in general. Or goblins in general. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because city goblins and, and this comes back to even in our novels, you know, uh, the Takan, you know, the Takani don't figure much into my novels at all, but you have city goblins in, in city of towers, Rizala Mm -hmm. and others. And, and I like that there's that variety. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think even in the adventure that's in the back of the Eberron campaign setting, there's that little, you know, market, you know, I think with the uh, cellar dwellers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's, that's a challenge for GMs or it can be in that, um, you know, you, you do sometimes default to, oh, goblins are the little guys that you just smash and get experience points for. Um, but I think, you know, looking to, I'm, I'm going to say it, Don's novels are really, are a really great resource to tap into, um, as, as, uh, as something that you can point to and, and refer to and, and utilize, uh, in your campaigns. I completely agree. No, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's the first place to go is, uh, you know, they're excellent novels and really sort of express some of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but Don, you know, let's start with you. Like to you, what is, is sort of ideas for how you would work goblins into a campaign? I think one of the things I maybe suggest is uh, use some of the, 
a little bit of a writer, the writer's advice for creating great villains is that the best villains don't think of themselves as villains. Uh, and you mm-hmm, can look at that mm-hmm. with the goblins and especially say with, with Dracala, um, a, a Dracala who is uh, going out of her way to reclaim artifacts of the Dakan empire doesn't see herself as a villain. She's not breaking the law. She's doing uh, something that this is perfectly right for her. This is what she must do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you could expand that a lot to, to other uh, goblin situations. It's like, this is, this is normal for them. This is what they do. Um, and, and I think you, and, you, you go. Oh, I was going to say, you can create some really rich uh, conflict out of that. And, and I think that you do, you know, have these two things you can sort of interact with immediately, uh, which are the points that there are Dakani ruins all over the place. There's Dakani ruins below Sharn. There's Dakani ruins below Greywall. Uh, that, you know, if you're looking for just a go-to casual, there's an a, a underground dungeon somewhere, there's a good chance it's Dakani. Yeah. And that to me, that idea of having the players go into an old ruined dungeon and discover something cool, you know, a magic sword, a magic orb, whatever it is, which we all know that's the classic D&D story. And then, like I say, three or four episodes later, when they've already really gotten to love that magic sword because it is awesome, Mm -hmm. you get the Durkala showing up saying, you're desecrating the sword of my ancestors. And again, what I love about that is, well, they are. And (laughs) what are they going to do about it? Are they just going to say, not my problem? Or are they going to recognize that, yeah, they are literally grave robbers? Right, right. And uh, yeah. Keith, or, you, or you could take that run. in a slightly different direction. No, go, on. Go, ahead, Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, you, you can take that idea of the, the Dracolic showing I'm saying you're desecrating the sword of my ancestors in a slightly different direction. You could say you're wielding the sword of my ancestors. Now you have a duty to perform because you've no, got perfect. this. You have to go do that. Absolutely. And I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could go with that. Yeah. You know, and having the, okay, now, now it's bonded to you, you know, now you are the only one who can kill the Dalkir that is rising uh, because you attune to it. You know, I think that's a fantastic concept. (laughs) And, and, uh, and that is the point to me of, you can present that situation and it's up to the players to do they treat this person as an antagonist or do they try and work with them? And if they try and work with them, that's where you can get into that. Well, this is why they need the sword. This is the importance of it. This is, and, and to me, that sort of discovering again, that this person who, who could easily be an enemy yet at the same time, you both, you know, you're both enemies of the Dalkir. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can go. Yeah, and, and I think the idea of, um, you know, we talked about this at DragonCon where, um, you know, you have these dungeons that they're not just random dungeons. These are, these are you know, like shrines or, 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 or you know, like tombs they're established. Right, tombs and fortresses. And, and they had a history. They had an actual functional purpose. And uh, and a role and and um, and it, and it's very much part of that culture, which I and, I find that far more fascinating than just random dungeon with a bunch of monsters crawling around in it. 
Right. And of course, you also have the point of if something is, you know, a vault, for example, there may be a good, very good reason it's sealed. <laughs> and if right. you open it up, because uh, we're adventurers, we're going to open every door, uh, you might let something terrible out. So right. it sort of is another uh, aspect of what you were saying, Don, of the, well, you've got to fix this mess that you've made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's also just a general component too of, um, you know, I, as a GM, you're, it's going to, you're going to have to challenge the players because the players might not know as much about the lore as you do. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, you know, not just bringing out the rich culture and history and so on, but actually subverting some of the assumptions that players have. And, and yeah. yet part of what I like uh, and this ties to the read Don's books and, and, you know, the way things happen is it is that you look to so many uh, classic movies from the Matrix to Ghostbusters to Men in Black to, you know, all of these things. And part of what's compelling is the person discovering the world isn't what they thought it was. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, it's it's just what Dom was suggesting, where first the Dirkala pops up and says, hey, that's my sword. And then she says, oh, but now you've committed yourself to saving the world or, you know, whatever it is <laughs> um, that that it's these multiple levels of play to the fact that, again, the average person in the five nations doesn't know anything about Dakan. And if the players don't, they are literally having that same journey of discovery that their character would be. Uh, and that it is this fun chance to say, sure, you probably do think of goblins as those savages who who stole uh, southern Siri. Uh, but in fact, there's a whole lot more going on here that, that you wouldn't have expected. Right, right. Yeah, and, and even the component of betraying the people that, you know, that they were hired by to serve as mercenaries – uh, during the last war and then yeah taking over that southern siri and so on like there's a lot stacked against them mm -hmm. uh, in recent history and i think that's um yeah that, that can be a really fun thing to play off of you know cool so i i think one of the really neat things about um goblinoids and everyone too is is how playable they can be you know i think in most settings we don't we don't think of them as, as playable creatures typically, um, mostly because culturally they're, they, they just wouldn't fit in very well in, in the, in the cultures that are in most fantasy settings. But in Eberron, we see goblinoids walking around. We see the monstrous races walking around, mostly in the lower levels of Sharn, for example. Um, but they're there and they're not just, you know, raiding and pillaging and killing, you know, um, so I think that makes them a little bit more approachable uh, as a as a PC. Um, well, I'll say an interesting trivia fact here is that goblins were pushed as player characters before the Warforged existed. Oh. That I actually pushed the goblins in the second stage of uh, the the setting design. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as this point of take doppelgangers, take, uh, take goblins, you know, take the races that already exist in D and D and yet aren't really sort of used as players and turn that around. 
And, uh, you know, as things evolved, as, as, you know, doppelgangers became changelings, as, uh, we added the Warforged, the shifters, uh, goblins, you know, sort of didn't end up being as much of a focus for player characters, but the idea was always there. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was sort of part of the factor of, uh, you know, from the Dakani where you can be, you know, someone representing your cash, uh, you know, trying to, to sort of find out about this, this modern world and decide how to proceed with it versus, uh, the Galdar, both with your own politics and trying to secure Dargoon, uh, or a city goblin, just, you know, coming from the, the bottom of the, the towers and trying to work your way up that all of those can be compelling stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I just like that approach of, of just that these are things we wouldn't normally think of as player characters. And yet why not? What makes them any less interesting than an elf or a dwarf? You know, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I was actually going to ask both of you, um, your, like if, if either of you were playing or if each of you were playing a goblinoid character, whether it's a bugbear, hobgoblin, goblin, what are some things that you would bring to the table? What are some of the things that you would think about that you would want to draw from and that you would, you would present uh, for, for your character? And Don, Don, you first. That's an interesting question. I, I actually just have to think about it. My first thought, okay, which, th which of the three races would I want to play? And I would want to do a, I would want to play a goblin. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then in my head, I'm just running through, okay, what, kind of goblin would i want to play my personally i i tend to play sort of the arcane classes um mm -hmm. and well you can't you know obviously you can still do that uh as a goblin find a way to do it um actually no i think i would i would still find a way to do a uh a, a goblin i'd probably be tempted to do sort of like the the challenge storyline for the character, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, sort of playing against this is, you know, no one expects you to be a, uh, a wizard or a sorcerer, actually a warlock, a warlock mm -hmm. might be kind of, might be very cool. Yeah. I think, well, that, and I think, mm -hmm. no, I think that I, I'm just saying that's probably sort of where I would, I would go with that uh, and sort of build it out from there. And, and I certainly like stories where it is like, this is something new. You know that that you're following a new path. Uh, I will say one of my favorite PCs someone played in my campaign was a. We were playing fourth edition, and the Bard class had not yet been released, mm -hmm. and so the uh, the player made a hobgoblin warlord. Perfect. Uh, but basically said he wanted to be a bard and like he couldn't be because the Durkala is a, that's a, a, you know, female path, but that he wanted to be a Durkala and that he'd sort of left, uh, you know, Dargoon sort of in shame uh, because he was, he was determined to be a bard uh, and that basically he was trying to find, uh, you know, these ancient artifacts as a sort of, I'm going to come back to my, you know, cash and, and, uh, sort of earn, you know, prove my my place here. Um, and I loved, again, that sort of combination of him 
exploring his pride in his culture and yet also playing to that I'm trying to do a thing that breaks with our tradition. Yeah. Um, I, I'm torn on what I do because on the one hand, I, I like Don inherently uh, would lean towards the, the Golandar uh, and, you know, I would be tempted to do a Shara Kesh sort of like I'm out here gathering information on what's going on. But I have to be honest and say I would play a big uh, bugbear barbarian. <laughs> and I just like, uh, you know, like playing the I, – I had one in a, a game I was running who his name was Garoof. <laughs> and I just, uh, I just like being the enthusiastic and part of the point of the bugbears of, uh, the empire is that idea that they're sort of raised to be the tip of the spear as it were that, you know, they're the biggest, the strongest, and their job is to get in there and, and just face danger, uh, you know, without fear. And I would certainly have a, a lot of fun being, being the big, uh, you know, bigger roof, just wanting to uh, sort of keep all you little guys out of trouble because you probably can't handle it. Uh, <laughs> but let me in. Nice. I think uh, I think if I were to pick. Um, so I really love rogues. I love playing rogues, not because I'm like the backstabbing thief who's going to steal your stuff or anything. Uh-huh. But it's just the tactics that are employed. And the challenges, you know, they have to overcome. So I think I would go with a goblin uh, who is may- like maybe like a ninja. You um, are going to love. Sorry, Cash. You are going to love Legacy mm-hmm. of Dakan. Yeah, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I, 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 I know I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think, and I think I've, I've heard that you know, there's the, the, the concept before, and, and that's what made me think about it. Um. Yeah, I, I think there's there's something really cool about that combination of um, the the small, unassuming uh, little guy who you know can get into and out of places that he probably shouldn't be, um, and you know can surprise you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's very much the idea, you know, where you have the Sharat Kesh, the uh, or the Keshdar, the silent folk that. You know, goblins are traditionally in Dakani society are like laborers and and artisans, and within the cities of Corvair, you know, they tend to just be sort of in the slums and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the point is for the the Sharkesh, this is this opportunity uh, to go out into the world and gather information and such because nobody tends to look twice at a goblin. Right. Um right. and and yet they are these incredibly uh you know skilled assassins and spies. Right. They're already and, invisible. Now they're even more right. so. Yeah. And and that's you know what I love about the Dakani is that point of we're just going to say they are just a notch more skilled than you are prepared for. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and they have the best weapons and they have, you know, they're more disciplined than you. And, uh, and just, I love it when people don't see that coming. So here's an interesting question for you all. You as player characters are going to Rook and Draw. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give yourselves? Do you want to start on that, Don? I was going to say, uh, uh, walk softly and carry a big stick. 
Mm-hmm. Like you know, you want you're you're in an environment where um, pretty much everyone is going to be bigger and more savage than you, and well, probably depending on who you are. But uh, you want to sort of blend in. Like if they're tough, you have to be tough too, and just sort of be intimidating for it. Um, when in Rook and Drawl, do as the Dargoon do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, certainly what I would say to that is, is first, for anyone who doesn't know, Rukandral is the, the capital, essentially, of Dargoon. And it, you know, has a little in common with Greywall and, you know, the Great Crag of, of uh, Droam in that it is, again, very much this sort of frontier, Casablanca, technically it's a throne hold nation, but yeah, you know, that no one's really enforcing any of the laws. Um, and so to me, it is part of that opportunity to you're in a city, but this is a big dangerous city that does not work the way uh, you're used to in the five nations. And uh everything you know i agree with obviously everything uh, don said but i love that also that possibilities of being in the place where you know the laws don't work the way you expect them to right and yeah actually i was going to say one other thing that that reminds me of it's not just the laws don't expect them it don't work the way you expect them to um the for lack of a better word, the infrastructure doesn't work the way you expect it to. Right. Because in Rook and mm-hmm. Drawl, all the goblins see it see in the dark. So I actually right. use this in a scene. It's like the city is dark at night. They don't have lights. They don't mm-hmm. need them. Uh, so it, it's yep. busy at night, but it's dark. So if you can't see mm-hmm. you can't see at night, you're at a distinct disadvantage. Yeah, and I love that that again, coming back to thinking about cultures and thinking about races, that whole point of imagine how is life different if everybody sees in the dark that, that yeah, you're not going to light the streets with continual flame. Cause why would you bother? Right. You know? And, and I love, you know, details like that of just thinking how that's different. And it's the same way that you get uh, a lot of goblins in the, the undercity of Sharn. Uh, you know, you can play the same thing there of that it's easier for them to live in tunnels and such than people, because if the lights go out, who cares? You know, they don't need the sun uh, the way humans do. So tip for non-goblinoid characters going to Rook and Draw, bring an Everbright Lantern. <laughs> yeah. That just shows your weakness. <laughs> Better get some goggles of, of you know, oh, yeah. dark vision. Fair point. Fair point. Cool. Um, so if, if there's, if there's something you wish you could have expanded on with goblinoids, um, whether from a gym perspective or a player perspective or something for players, even what might that be? Uh, well, I'll say that for me, uh, well, I am going to expand <laughs> on goblins in, uh, exploring Eberron. So you'll find out in a couple of months, uh, but part of that is that I feel uh, we never did sort of really delve into uh, what defines uh, both the Dakani and the Dargal, uh, you know, what makes them different. 
uh, really just all that we've touched upon about what is goblin psychology, what drives them, what makes them different from being humans. Um, and also just calling out more of the clans and what that means to you, you know, because certainly that's my thing of making a goblin character. Are you, you know, Galdar, are you a city goblin? Are you a Dakani? And then once you said that, what's your clan? What's your cash? Why are you not there? You know, that why have you left that behind? Uh, that that right away is a story. Are you acting to help your people or have you been driven away or, you know, have you committed a crime? You know, that there's, if you're a goblin adventurer with a bunch of non-goblins, that automatically to me is a story that I want to know. How did this end up happening? Right. The why, the why and how. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Don, is there anything that you want to explore further? I, I feel like I'm lucky because I got to explore a whole lot of it uh, through the through <laughs> mm-hmm. the novels. But um, if if I had like a, a sort of a wish list of, of like a, a something that I could explore, I would really love to go back and do more about the history and sort of expand on parts of the uh, parts of the, the empire or what I I can't remember if mm-hmm. I coined the term or, or someone else did the desperate times, what happened after the fall of the empire and the rise of humans. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, I absolutely think that should not be done officially because I love, right, I, I love the openness of it and you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. in your campaign. You've got these sort of points that, you know, it fell here. The empire fell around this time. Um, but it's not definite and, Things are a bit hazy, um, so it's more of just like a it would be like a fanfic sort of thing that it's like yeah I could do this and I create that but you know it would really just be for me it wouldn't be for canon or anything. Well, I'll say that that I'm working on uh, more the heirs of Dakan in exploring Eberron than anything else, and so. Uh, so clearly, you know, next year we need to team up on a, on a broader <laughs> goblin, you know, Dargoon book yeah. uh, and and put some stuff together. Sure. You you have my money. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we haven't yet covered, um, but I think we have covered quite a bit. Um, oh, I actually do have one last thing. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is this is a minor point of observation you know in the uh in the original Eberron campaign setting there's this one particular art piece where there's these goblinoid slavers and you know that was something like you know i I had a hard time with in terms of Mm -hmm. you know working that into a story or campaign but how if if at all how how have you played that up uh that aspect in in your campaigns or is it something you just ignored or is it something that you know, you've well, I see a couple different things on it. First, of course, what is concrete in the history is that humans enslaved goblins. So I'll just note that that sort of is is a concrete the idea that a lot of the uh, that the reason we have city goblins is because their ancestors were enslaved, and that it was Galifar who essentially broke that tradition, and you know, among other things, to to get them to back uh, to back his his claim. Um, one of my things is I personally, it does not make sense to me that the Dakani would take slaves. 
in part because the whole idea is Dakani civilization is driven off of the fact that everyone knows their place, that everyone understands, you know, that you have mutant Acha and that if you're taking outsiders, they don't have that, that they're always going to be, you know, rebelling or not behaving the way you expect them to behave. So I've always sort of looked to in the days of the empire, it being more like ants, that they're going to move in and they're just going to drive everyone else away. They don't actually want to keep you around as a slave because that's more trouble for them than it's worth. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, on the other hand, the Galdar and the Margul, that's a whole different story. And that's where I look to it is, is to, in a sense, their thing is just saying, we're just doing back to you what you did to us. You know, that we're just taking this land and we'll take you with it. And so it's not something I particularly highlight. But again, to me, it is a bit of that. Here's where we get the moral ambiguity because, again, you did it first, you know, and uh, and I still maintain that uh, some, particularly the Margul, we've always said, are more aggressive and savage and might makes right. Uh, within the Galdar, to me, I think that's a clan by clan mm -hmm. sort of basis. Right. Uh, any thoughts on that, Don? Uh, so where I took slavery in uh, the legacy of Dakan books, um, because obviously it's part of the setting or part of the nation and uh, it's a very loaded thing is that uh, I said, yes, it existed. Uh, and sort of one of those acknowledge that it happened, the human characters in it, in the novels uh, sort of are have their issues with it and they react to it. But where, what I talked about is that um, how Haruka addressed it because he mm -hmm. wants to be respected. He wants it to be a throne right. old nation. So he right. has outlawed slavery in Rukandral. But once you get away from Rukandral, it, uh, it really is a sort of a clan by clan uh, mm -hmm. basis. Although if Haruka comes around, they sort of hide all the slaves. Right. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah, so it becomes a yeah, political thing. And and this is, you know, just highlighting the whole thing from the beginning and and one of the things you've been talking about from the start Don, you know, is what I love about Dargoon is that it's not simple. That this is the point that we have so many nations in our world that you see what happens uh you know with a not entirely united culture uh, sort of trying to build a nation and that, you know, it's not easy to build a nation. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah you build blending yeah. the old, blending the new and where does mm -hmm. it all end up? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and it is, you know, currently at least, uh, you know, it is in a very sort of delicate state, you know, I think that in, in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the stability of the nation and, yeah, and absolutely. loyalties and such. Yeah. Read the books. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You got to read them. Good stuff yep. there. So, uh, all right. Well, I think that covers it. I think we've covered everything that there is to cover about uh, goblins, goblinoids in, in uh, Eberron. Um, so uh, with that in mind, 
Uh, thank you all for listening and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show uh, and join us next time as we discuss rising from the last war. Uh, Don, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. And, and just remember, the episode stops but never ends. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Well, Thanks, well, I see what you did there. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, until next time, keep exploring.